2 Corinthians chapter 10. Those of you who have been with me for a while know that as I start into a new section, I kind of give you a heads up on what the section is, what we're getting ready to do, and that's what we're going to do today as we move into the first six verses of chapter 10. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 6. A section that I call Victory and Spiritual War. Victory and Spiritual War. Please follow with the reading of the Word of God. Now I, Paul, myself, urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I, who am meek when face to face with you, but bold toward you when absent. I ask that when I am present, I need not be bold with the confidence with which I propose to be courageous against some who regard us as if we are walking We walked according to the flesh. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but divinely powered for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculation and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we are ready to punish all disobedience Whenever your obedience is complete. Father, we come today to begin a new section in this letter. Father, as you have laid it out before us, Father, I pray that our hearts will listen. Father, we will see this man, Paul, apostle to the Gentiles, what he endured for the Gentiles, what he endured for your truth what he endured for the sake of Christ. Father, may we be moved by that. His honor, his nobility is eternal in your holy book. And yet, Father, his honor and nobility were placed upon him a crown of righteousness that you bestowed him on a faithful soldier of the cross. Help us, Lord, each of us, to draw to this, to be overwhelmed by this, And to rejoice to this. In Christ's name. Amen. These first six verses are actually, if if, if you look at this letter, if you were to read it in, in its total context, you will find out that this is the final section of this letter. And it comes in three groupings. This grouping is 10 through 13. And he begins this section, 10 through 13, and and there's a flow to it, though it, it seems at times a little abstract, but there is a flow to it. And he begins this giving an illustration of warfare. Now, I remember people getting mad at me because, well, for a lot of reasons, but when I described the Christian life as war, Okay, as a battle, it is it is it is combat. All right, and it is uh, no holds barred combat. You know, you know, I get people. Well, no, you don't know. There are no rules of engagement. There is no worries of collateral damage. We are at war, and I hear this a lot. And yet I understand by a lot of the people who are speaking of spiritual war are clueless. 
of what spiritual war is. We hear this text spoken of, exposited, explained, written. Uh, people, there's plethora of books on verses 3 and 4. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. And you hear people bloviate on those verses. And what I realize is, is they're bags of hot air. Because this is a often quoted text, but it is an often misunderstood text. It's very important, and it is central to the letter of the Corinthians. And, and, and it has to do with every single one of us who is saved, how to deal with, or how do I approach spiritual conflict? Okay, If you are not in spiritual conflict then you are either getting ready to be or you've been taken prisoner or you're not saved. Okay? When the Apostle Paul, one of my favorite letters ever, are the last words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy. That was his last letter. And... As he concluded his life, he was preparing to have his head removed. His ministry for the Lord was finished. And he was trying to encourage young Timothy to, this is what you're going to face, son. I, You have seen it in me. You have fought with me. And now I am preparing to be poured out as a drink offering. And he uses terminology that, I will be honest with you, is so foreign to the American church right now that I fear for her. Because the American church is bloviating. It is a bunch of hot air. He concludes it in chapter 4, verse 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. How many of us ever walk with Christ saying, I'm in a fight? Ever thought about that? Do we market the gospel as come join me in battle? An unrelenting war? He looked at his life, he looked at his ministry as a war. Why don't we see this today? I I, I do not understand this. Because I know it is an unrelenting war. This thing is not over until I'm dead. And then it is never going to be over until Christ splits the Mount of Olives. And I, I want you to be very clear. I'm not talking about spiritual conflict. I'm talking bare-knuckled, brawling war. Hand-to-hand combat. 
Paul looked at his life, what he had endured. He tells young Timothy in chapter 2, verse 3, Suffer hardship with me. Okay, now that's an amazing statement when I think about it because I know where he's at. He's in a hole. It's a circular hole. It's about um, six and a half, seven feet underground. It's all cobblestone rock and there's a wood door on one side. But they get the prisoners in and out through a hole in the top. Because the wood door on the side opens up to the sewage system of Rome. And if they can't get you to court quick enough, they can slide that door up there. And because that cell is circular, it is like a toilet. And it will flush the inhabitants out into the sewers where they are drowned. That's where the Apostle Paul is writing this letter. And he's telling Timothy, suffer hardship with me. That's impressive. That's impressive. As a good soldier of Christ Jesus, no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. That's how the Apostle Paul looked at his life. He viewed himself as a good soldier who suffered hardship as the one who enlisted him had commanded. He was in battle. He was fighting to please his commander in chief. And if you look at Paul's life, he battled his entire life. Do we understand that? From the beginning of his salvation to his beheading. It was a war. It was a war. He never... And you know what? I go back through and I look at it. And I, and I wonder about that severe letter that we don't have. But everything I read about him, he never battled for any personal honor. He never battled for any personal comfort. He never battled for fame. He never battled for achievement. He never battled for glory. He did fight for the truth of the gospel. And he was ready to die for the truth of the gospel. And the only time that he would defend himself is to preserve the opportunity to speak truth. That's it. That's it. He wanted to be heard. And if he's heard, he wanted to be believed. Linsky wrote on the Apostle Paul this quote, Defending self only to be the voice of God. Unquote. He never defended himself for personal gain. All through his ministry, he had opposition and it was hostile. It was slanderous. It was false accusation. It was persecution. It was threats. It was envy. There was jealousy and there were even plots to murder him. Let's be realistic. When he got saved on the road to Damascus, how did he get out of Damascus? They had to lower him in a basket on the outside wall. Thus begins his ministry. They wanted to kill him in Damascus. 
His integrity and his message was always challenged. There has always been, and there will be until the return of Christ, a hatred. I'm using the word specifically. A hatred, a resistance to the gospel. Do you hear what I'm saying? This isn't fluff, people. Come, walk an aisle. Say a prayer. No, people hate you. There are two religions on the planet Earth right now. One is works and one is grace. And they try to blend the two together. And if you confront that, you know what the response is? Hatred. Hatred. Paul battled. He fought. He considered himself a soldier. He uses the analogy over and over and over in his writings. He faced every day. Now, I want you to think about this. Because we all, I think I want to be a minister of Jesus. Okay? I, I see this all over the place. All right? Are you willing, as the Apostle Paul... To face every day as if it would be your last. Because of the work you're doing. That's the way Paul looked at it. Any moment his life could be taken from him. It could be taken by a friend, by a Jew, by a Gentile, by criminals, by government officials. They all wanted him dead. Because he was battling to protect the truth. He was battling to protect the gospel. And there has always been an assault on it. It goes on today. Listen. He was fighting to defeat. Not compromise. Not to sign an armistice. I want to defeat. The satanic realm of error. That's a war. He wanted to advance the glory and honor of his commander in chief, Christ Jesus. He was in a battle. And he was battling for the honor of Christ. He was battling to preserve the word of Christ. He was battling to strengthen and increase the security of the body of Christ, the church. He was in a battle against fallen angels. He was in a battle against their advocates, men and false teachers. He was in a battle against philosophies. And he was in a battle against false religions. He was in a battle against all the wolves Threatening to devour the church. And you know what? That war consumed his life. My son came back from combat. He had been in Afghanistan for 11 months. And as soon as he got back, uh, they had 30 days. They couldn't do anything, talk to anybody or anything. They were on base and it was basically in lockdown. As soon as that 30 days was over, I went over. I went to see him. Okay. You know, he says, no, I'm a good dad and all the rest of it. And, and I'd already had conversations. He says there was not a day that he wasn't shot at. Every day he was shot at. Somebody was shooting at him. Sometimes it was artillery. Sometimes 
sniper rifles, but every day bullets of some caliber went at him. So I went up to Alaska to see. Very curious. Very curious. Uh, my son, as young as he is, has seen things that none of us have ever seen. I hope none of us ever have to see. But I remember sitting and I, and I had picked him up that morning. We were going to go eat breakfast. It's the first time I'd seen him. So I pick him up and we go to, uh, I think it was a village inn. And, and, and we sit down. And, you know, he's happy to see me. You know, we hugged. I love you, Dad. I'm glad I'm back, Dad, and all that stuff. So I just started watching him. I listened to him talk. He had some pictures on his eye, something or other. And he says, look at this, look at this, and, and all that stuff. But I noticed some things about him. He got up to go to the bathroom. Okay, village in. All right, and it was, he had to go around the corner, and you could watch him step and look around the corner, and then walk around it. Okay, he didn't present his entire body around that corner. The whole time that I was with him up in Anchorage, his eyes never stopped moving left and right, left and right, always searching back and forth. And you watch him; he was always doing this, moving his head back and forth, back and forth. You know why? Combat. You got to keep your head on a swivel. You don't daydream. You don't think about things. You don't go off in your little hoo hoo hoo. Why? He was in battle. He understood it. And he understood that he was fighting someone who wanted him dead. I don't want to compromise you. I don't want a treaty with you. I want you dead. Same thing Paul's doing. His head's on a swivel, his eyes are always moving, and he's always looking at what is going on. The war consumed the apostle's life. He was under fire every day. Every day. Listen, the apostle Paul was physically scarred from the battle. He had endurance in war. He had been stoned and left for dead. Do you think they used rubber rocks? He was beaten with rods. He was scourged. He was beaten with fists. He bore on his body the marks of that battle. He had escaped riots. He understood there was nothing more unrelenting than the war waged for the preserving of the church in Corinth. That one there got him the most. He had been with those people for two years. And he knew battle. And he knew the battle would rage. Had he known the battle would rage for years to come, I don't know what he would have done. But he knew that whenever he took the light of the gospel into darkness, the war was on. And all he was trying to do in Corinth was preserve truth there. Preserve truth. He founded the church. He taught from house to house, day and night, for two years. He led many to Christ. And then those he led to Christ, he infused himself into them to strengthen them. And to build up the saints. And to present leadership. Then a door was opened for the gospel in Ephesus. And he left after two years. While he was in Ephesus. God was doing mighty work in Ephesus. But he received word that they were embracing sin. Okay. One of the things that I have watched is when a congregation starts tolerating sin. 
Okay? Then they are ripe for false teachers. Because the false teacher will do what? He will put salve on your conscience. He sent them a letter dealing with the sin. Okay? That letter we don't have. Okay? They responded. And he responded back with a letter you and I know as 1 Corinthians. So now we have two letters have gone to the church in Corinth. And he was trying to correct this mess. But after he had sent what you know as 1 Corinthians, he received that there were false teachers had come in and that the church was embracing them. And they were attacking the integrity and character of the Apostle Paul, which means they were attacking the character and the integrity of his message. He wrote another letter called the Severe Letter. They were attacking Paul. And you let me tell you something. That is how the gospel is assaulted to this day. Let me attack the messenger and his credibility. And if I do that, I've, listen, I've experienced this. I don't even know how many times. But they all gather together. They come up with an idea. They never approach me. And I, I have people come in and say, well, such and such said, and such and such said, and such and such said. And you know what? How do you defeat that? How do you defeat that? Because they want to teach lies. Paul said they want to teach the doctrines of demons. How do I attack the gospel? Attack the messenger. Attack the messenger. Discredit the messenger. He becomes ineffective. Now you're ripe. They had to destroy Paul's reputation. People had trusted Paul. People had believed in him. Okay, And then they began what I call a smear campaign. I have seen this over and over and over. Let me attack the messenger's integrity and character. And guess what? Once you keep chipping away at that, you lose trust in the Apostle Paul. You lose trust in the messenger. And so Paul understood that the false were winning. That's why he wrote the severe letter. So I'll take you back a little ways in Second Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears, not so that you'd be made sorrowful, that you might know the love which I have especially for you. They broke his heart. They broke his heart. See, Paul saw the writing on the wall. If you guys are playing with sin and nobody's saying anything about it, then he knew that false teachers could come in. What the false teacher is going to immediately do is go after the truth teller. Titus had taken this letter, the severe letter, had confronted them. And for the most part, in a general sense, the congregation in Corinth repented. They changed. We saw that in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. That relationship had been restored. Yet, during that time of waiting for Titus' response, he was in anguish. He's in depressed. Um, he was in turmoil. 
He hurt. His heart was ripped out of his chest by the people that he loved so much. Then he got Titus's report. And that turned Paul's heart from that heartache, sorrow to joy. You know what that is? That is a spiritual victory and spiritual war. When you can take a man in turmoil and anguish and, and, and just depression because of the response of the people and turn that back to joy, that is a spiritual victory. So he wants in 2 Corinthians, this section, 10 through 13, he wants... Um, he, 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 he knows that he is a good soldier. Okay. He knows he is a good leader. He knows he has won a battle, a tremendous battle. But he also knows, and he's telling the Corinthians, the war is not over. Okay. Let me tell you something about your enemy. Your enemy will never stop. Unrelenting. John MacArthur made this statement. I thought it was pretty cool. Speaking of this letter and this section of this letter. Quote, This poisonous river was pushed under the ground, but it wasn't very deep. Unquote. Okay, I have watched this in this congregation over the years that I have been here. I've seen it in other church congregations. I've seen it throughout histories. There are little corners of doubt. They just hang out there. And you know what? That's where the false teachers hang out. Let me tell you something about accusations or slander or whatever. When that happens. All right. I don't care who you are. When you've been falsely accused, slandered, whatever you want to call it, it is extraordinarily difficult to ever clear your name. Okay? When the lies go out, you can't get it back. In Paul's case, they were very subtle, but they were very intense. And in that subtle and intenseness, they were extraordinarily effective. And let's be realistic. The church had embraced sin. Okay? Their flesh was leading. It makes you easily deceived. Your discernment has left the building. And you know what? The false are around even today. Right now. There may be some in this room right now. And they will take cover. In the case of the repentance of the congregation of Corinth, they will await their opportunity and they'll pick their spot because they won't quit. Many would be asked in the Corinthian church, what happened? Oh, sounds like a Baptist denomination. What happened? Okay. Could the true repentance believers in Corinth give an answer? Because, see, if 
I bring the accusation and there is a repentance from my accusation. I stay off in the corner. I stay off in the weeds. And then I can just creep in and I can smile at you and say, but what happened? Because I'm concerned. What was that? You know what that does? To the person who's changed their directions? It fertilizes and waters that little bitty seed of doubt. Well, I'm not really sure. I, 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 don't, I don't know. Perhaps there was more to it than you are being told. You see that verse right there where he starts out chapter 10? Now. Now. Now Paul takes aim at the guerrilla war individuals. That poison that is under the surface is the Apostle Paul's target 10 through 13. The troublemakers. Those who would be silent for a time. Look at verse 7. You are looking at things as they are outwardly. If anyone is confident in himself that he is Christ, let him consider this again within himself, that just as he is Christ, so also are we. That's an amazing statement. They've reconciled in seven and he moved on to the ministry in eight and nine. And he says, but anyone who would say they are in Christ, are we not also? The false are just laying off in the weeds, waiting, ready, waiting for the appropriate time. Listen, the church in Corinth, the majority have repented, but you have a minority that is waiting. They're waiting to cause problems. That is what Paul is focused on in 10 through 13. And you know what? I hate to break the news to you. We must deal with this. He said that he had been earlier, that he was sad. He was depressed. He was brokenhearted. He grieved at the situation that he found himself in with these precious saints in Corinth. And he said he wanted to come, but he couldn't because he didn't what, what? More sorrow. Now you think about that. How would you like to go back to the church that you founded and you couldn't because they broke your heart? His last visit to them, they embarrassed and shamed him to his face. A man stood up and accused him publicly in the congregation. And the church... Never dealt with it. Broke his heart. Broke his heart. And you know what? He told him, he says, I wanted to come back to you a third time, but I couldn't because I didn't have the strength to do it again. Until now. 
Now remember where we're at. He's received the report back. After the severe letter, he's received the report back that the, that the Corinthians have changed. And his Titus report has reported they've changed, they've, re they've repented, and there's a restoration between them and the Apostle Paul. And so now he says, I'm coming back a third time now. Why? Now I can. Now I can. But see, what would happen is, he's getting this letter here ready. And he's going to take this letter, Titus will, back to Corinth. Remember, they're going to collect that offering. He's going to take it back to Corinth. And they're going to stand up and they're going to read this. And everybody's going to be going, Amen, brother. Amen, brother. Amen, brother. Amen, brother. And then they're going to get to chapter 10, verse 1. And now... And you got 10, 11, 12, 13. And he's warning those who are holding on to this rebellion, these bad attitudes, that when he gets there, and if they are still stiff-necked towards him, then it's war. It's war. I will come back with my guns a-blazing. I'm coming back with weapons of warfare that are divinely powerful. And I will tear you down. I'm coming back for the pulling down of strongholds. I will punish all disobedience. I will destroy everything that is lifted up against the knowledge of God. Now, that'd be really great if you got hanging out there in the weeds in the church waiting your time. And all of a sudden, they start reading this from the pulpit. And you're like, eh, I might want to start the Second Baptist Church in Corinth. This is a remarkable section, actually. It is in response to Titus's good report. Now, I want to go back through this whole letter again real quick. Everybody's like, what? <laughs> Chapter 1 through 7. Okay. That's the restoration of the, the, the fellowship. This relationship between the Apostle Paul and the church in Corinth has been restored. Chapters 1 through 7. Okay, I can see the joy and the grace and the mercy and the love in the first seven chapters. Okay, um, uh, Linsky called it a tone of grace and gentleness. Sweet grace in the very words of the Apostle Paul in chapters 1 through 7. Okay. Their relationship had been difficult. Paul was heartbroken. He was sick. Rebellion has been gloriously stopped. There's been a change of heart. And now there's grateful restoration. And the love between the Apostle Paul and the Corinthians has been restored. It's cool, isn't it? It's amazing if you think about it. Every time I've ever confronted things like that, it blows up and they all leave. Starts third and fifth and ninth Baptist church. Okay. Then the second chapter section that you see, okay, that's the first section. This gracious, sweet tone of this restoration. Okay. Second section is chapters eight and nine. Now that we have our relationship restored, now that we're all back on the right track, we're on the right place, let's take an offering and get back to the ministry that is at hand. Okay? Cool. Now, this is a self-evident truth. All right, I got another one for you. 
Self-evident truth. Do not try to take an offering from your enemies. It's just an idea. If you want to try, go for it. I'm just telling you, you may have to duck their gift. Alright? You don't take your offerings and try to get an offering from your enemies. But the Corinthian relationship has been restored. And he exhorts them to give to this to help the poor saints in Jerusalem. Okay, because when there's restoration in the body of Christ, you know what is a byproduct? Obedience. Obedience. Okay, now I'm in the final section. That's where he starts it off with. Now, I'm coming a third time. And this third time, I will deal sternly with anyone who is hostile to the truth. Got that? From the calm and gracious words of chapters 1 through chapter 9 to now, I'm coming back. And he writes this, and it's for all the believers. Now he shifts from this kind, gentle man to strong authority. And it is directed at those who are hostile to the Apostle Paul, who are hostile to his message, and he will deal with those who are hostile. The church in general has changed. But Paul is a a very smart soldier. He knows he won that battle. But he also knows that war is not done. They have been restored and it's been settled. I was reading uh, Zodiades on this. And he says he will roll back into Corinth and expose the remaining embers of the false teachers. And if you read 10, 11, 12, and 13, you will see that he's got a target. He's got a target. Now, remember, Titus will take this back. Okay. By the time Titus takes this back to Corinth, they're going to have about three months after getting the letter before he comes bebopping into town. He will show up for his third time. We know that he was there. His third trip when he was there, I shared this last week, is when he wrote the letter to the Romans. Okay? So the church in Corinth is going to have time to deal with this. The Bible phrase that you hear are the murmurings. Okay? Anybody's been in church anytime, you get the murmurings. Okay? The murmurings are not a spiritual gift. Okay? They are snakes in the grass. Alright? Which means stay out of the weeds. He will be looking for those who are in the weeds. And those who are in the weeds... He will give them three months to repent. To repent. Because if they do not repent and they want to hold to the path that they're on, then he's going to tell them in these last section that they are about to face this soldier of the Lord. And he uses that terminology. I'm not going to be this gracious communicator who loves and cherishes people. I'm coming back to kick butt and take names. If you feel like you want to fight, I'm going to bring you one. 
spiritual warfare. He will fight if fighting is needed. Remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 21, he said this, I can come back to you gentle, or I can come back with a rod. Have you ever thought of that in spiritual warfare? You know, and my motif and where I come from, do I have to beat you stupid? Or do I have to beat the stupid out of you? Okay, do you see what I'm trying to get at? And, and yet, I watch people, they don't deal with this. How he opens this section, I urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. And then from there on, it's like, Katie, bar the door. Because I am coming for warfare. I am coming with weapons. I am coming to destroy fortresses. I am coming to bring down speculations. Got it? And you know what? He had a, a battle plan. I look at this section and I says, this is Paul's shock and awe. We're restored, but there's snakes in the grass and I'm coming to fix it. You got three months. Do you want me there gentle or do you want me there with a rod? You decide. How do you want me to be? Now, in these first six verses, there's an outline there. And I'm going to close with this. I've read uh, Ephesians 6. I've heard it taught. Uh, put on the whole armor of God. And, and you know what? Bless their hearts. But I, that ain't the way warfare works. Uh, here, here's, here's my problem. <laughs> if you're in war, why would you take your armor off? Uh, just a question. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a military strategist, but why would you take your armor off? And I'm asking you, this second part of the question is, are you in war now? And I hope you're not running around butt naked fighting. Okay, because I know you're about to get whooped. Uh, my son showed me that they've got a thing, they call it a kit. And it uh, hangs over their chest and down below their groin. Um, and, and it's got a bunch of these Steel plates. I mean, I don't have any way to describe. It. He's got Kevlar on, and this stuff all goes on top of it. Okay, and it's about you put the back plate and the front plate in, and then down around the groin, along your thighs, and all the rest of it. You got an extra eighty pounds. Okay, and he <laughs> he called it his redneck camping trip, and he said I was in my kit for thirty five days. I slept in it. I got up in the morning in it. I ate my lunch in it. And he says, you just always had it on. And he says, you know what, Dad? After a week, you don't even notice it. And I was like, yep, probably not. <laughs> okay, but you're carrying. And and he says, they call him a kid because they kind of clank everywhere you walk. He says, you're kinky, 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 as you're going around. He says, but if you got people shooting at you, it works well. 
Okay, when I think about victory and spiritual war, I think about how is the soldier of Christ dressed? Uh, he's got the helmet and the shield and the breastplate of righteousness and he's girded up. And you know what? That, that's great. But most of those people I've watched get their lunches handed to them. They look good in their parade dress. Okay? But it won't get you through the boonies. Apostle Paul is going to the boonies. Actually, the Apostle Paul lived there. What does a victory in spiritual warfare, what would that soldier look like? One, he's going to have compassion, courage, competent, and calculating. That's your outline. These first six verses, we see how Paul dressed for battle. Dressed for battle. This is the combat soldier's uniform. Dressed as a warrior. Four traits for a spiritual warrior. Okay, four of them in your outline. If you have these four traits, you will have victory. So over the next three weeks, we're going to war. Let's pray. Father, to you be the glory and praise. Father, I thank you for my brother Paul. And Father, I hope we understand that the war is here. And as even Paul said, who is adequate for such a task? And yet you have prepared each of us to give a reason for the hope that is in us all. Father, let us fight the good fight. Father, let us be good soldiers. Enlisted by you to bring you glory, honor. Father, let us understand that the battle is not about us. But Father, it is about your truth. It is under assault and always has been. Father, I pray. Pray that each of us take up the fight. Not be entangled with things of this world. Press on to the upward calling of Christ. To you and you alone, my King. Amen.